sitting there on the front row, getting nostalgic, thinking back. Uh, I was first called to preach. Not singing that song, but another song, I guess maybe sounded something like it, On the, sitting on the front row waiting for the congregation to stop singing and the music to stop to take the pulpit and then begin to, to preach. What a blessing the Lord has given us with music and, and um, a good church. Well, believe it or not, this is my... 15th anniversary coming up on August the 1st, and therefore this is my 15th budget. Now, many of you have been here for a lot, a lot more. No, no, 15th anniversary of the church. Yeah, it feels like 15 years to, you know, to, to me. For Tracy, it probably feels like 65 but 15 years at the, at the church. And as I said, I'm going to be laying out the, the summer plans toward the end of the service. In a few minutes, the finance committee is going to come and, and uh, tell you how we ended and what, what they expect. And, and while we have a, a new constitution, there are a few things that, that are different. This is something that hasn't uh, changed. Our budget's still presented uh, to the church by our finance committee. It's still posted for two weeks. Um, and then you, uh, same format's always been, and then you... And then you vote on it. Um, Doug and Tom, in a minute, will come and present an overview. But before I do, I want to share something uh, with you that's part of the budget. And it's significant, really, in the life of, of the church. When I came here 15 years ago, I, I made the statement I would go anywhere that the Lord would, uh, would want me to go. But I wouldn't want to come to, to TBC unless Larry Brody uh, was, was here. And I said that because of, of his giftings and, and my, my weaknesses, and I've repeated that many times uh, over the, the years. Um, there are fewer brothers in the Lord that I respect more. Um, I don't know of anyone that I consider a closer bond slave of, of Christ. And this brother, along with Judy, has been serving you a lot longer than, than me, 34 years in in this church, and that's faithfulness, especially in, in our days. And uh, after 34 years, we've talked uh, many times over the last five years. I wouldn't say formally, but just we always have a discussion about, you know, when's a good time for a, you know, for a transition and what would that look like, uh, not an abrupt retirement, but, but how long uh, does he continue in what capacity and then in what role? And the conversation, honestly, usually always went the same way. It, he would say, I'm God's servant. I just want to be used for the church. So at any time you want me to change roles or step aside, you know, you just say the word. And I would always respond the same way. Okay, then give me 25 more years. I mean, that's almost how it always went. Um, one of the issues, quite frankly, that I've always had is like, who who would we get to replace Pastor Brody, I mean, in some ways, he's, he's irreplaceable. He's a unique man. So much history with him and Judy in this church. Such, a, such an encourager. And he's probably embarrassed that I'm even saying all of these things right now because along with that is humility. But in one sense, we both said whenever the time was right that God would send the, the right person and provide the right man in the right direction. We believe the Lord's done that. And so uh, this proposed budget includes the, the beginning, not the end, but the beginning of a transition for Pastor Brody. 
uh, with his full harmony, PB will remain full-time in the church. He's not going anywhere, um, but he will reduce his salary and, and benefits significantly to help facilitate a multi-year transition. Um, the man that we believe that has the ability to serve in his place, not immediately, but in the future, is Tim Moshera. Um, in this budget, we're bringing Tim O'Shea on staff as a future associate pastor. He said, so we're proposing to you, and he will eventually take uh, PB's executive you know, role over, over several years. Um, we'll gradually step back Pastor Brody's um, salary and workload and increase Tim's as we go along, kind of hand off of the, ba- the baton, a transition progress. You can remember sitting on Pastor Nathan Smith's uh, ordination council at Heritage, and Dr. Kroll was there, and somebody asked him, why? Why are you doing this now? You can still preach. You can still do all the things that, that you do, and you can do it really well. He made some comment about, um, you know, whenever I pass the baton, I want to be running whenever I do that. I don't want somebody to be pushing me in a wheelbarrow and me, you know, me trying to hold the, the baton up to, to somebody. Pastor Brody can still run the race and do that that well. So this would be gradual. Pastor Brody will continue to be an elder, one of the three elders that we currently have. He'll do all the things that he normally does, abundant life and executive pastor. You probably won't notice a lot of, of, of difference, but, but he'll focus less on staff and on business administration and those kind of things and more on shepherding, including the shepherding care of our shut-ins and along with training you know, Tim. As you know, Tim and Emmy have completed their, the two-year mission stint in, um, in, in Malawi, and they've returned. They were never committed there longer than, than two years. It was one year, and then we see how that works, and then committed for a second year. At the end of that second year, come back, came back. Because uh, after they, they, they graduated TES five, six years ago, and we sat down and talked to them about you know, long-term trajectory, uh, the pastors and, and, and Tim and, and Emmy concluded that there were really two places that, that they thought they were gifted and, and could serve well, and that would be overseas in a TES expositors type of training center, which is what Malawi was, or stateside in a TES type of, of church, uh, either one. And um, so that was the purpose, to see... Obviously, the Lord would use them there during that period of time, but but would there be an extension there going somewhere else or coming back here? So after the Mesheras came back, uh, close to the end of their second term, I should say, um, we began to discuss the possibility of them serving here. And um, frankly, we've been impressed with Tim's uh, maturity and decision-making even while he was on the field in in Malawi. Um, there was difficulties there, and, and he helped... Uh, in a, in a, to, to shepherd without having authority to shepherd, and and also Emily's ministry as as well. Uh, you haven't been to Malawi, I have. It's a tough place to be, and she just did a great job. They're also known entities. I mean, one of the things that's significant for a church, it's hard to bring in somebody from the outside, um, and uh, so it's really good when you have somebody who's a, a known entity. That can be bad if they're not the right person, obviously. Uh, chemistry is huge, and, um, and then obviously we, we train them, so they think like us, and there's really no, no daylight in, um, you know, in any of that. So being in harmony as elders, we discussed that with Tim and Emmy, and they heartily agreed. When I say elders, I say myself and 
Pastor Jeff and Pastor Brody, um, and they've heartily agreed. And so beyond learning PB's role in admin, uh, Tim will have responsibility for the Expositor Seminary here on our campus and eventually probably teach there in, in some way. Um, Emily, if you haven't noticed, has taken Grace Schnarr's role in uh, the church office. Grace um, stepped down to, uh, to be a stay-at-home wife and, Lord willing, uh, one day raise a family. Um, praise Jesus, exactly what the Bible says. And so um, this transition, as you're going to hear, it has a very limited effect on the, on the budget Quite frankly, if I didn't give you everything I just told you, you probably wouldn't even notice it from the number standpoint because of the reduction and otherwise. But we really think this is, is of the Lord uh, moving forward. And um, we wanted you to know that. And I didn't want to just throw that ball to these guys to tell you all of those things. I wanted the privilege uh, to do that. So with that, Doug's going to come and tell us how gracious the Lord has been. hope it's on yeah I know this past year has been quite difficult for everyone COVID has given us a, a lot of challenges and yet we have so much to be thankful for as in that same time period our church was one of the first churches to get back to um, meeting in in, in, um, in person thank the Lord for that some churches are just now getting back and some haven't done that yet so it's a, such a blessing to be able to see you folks and to be able to fellowship with you and whatnot. And number two, this has been a great year for the budget. Uh, God has richly blessed us. Um, let's see if I can get the right slide up there. So we have much to be thankful for to the Lord for blessing us financially, uh, as well as I'm very thankful for each one of you because you've participated. You've been used to the Lord. So tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about what we have done, where we're going to land, hopefully. But before we do, we want to give thanks. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Because it's good. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above. Amen? So... This is the main slide that, we'll be, that I'll be talking about. And what we're doing is we're going to project that we finish up the year with income, our tithes and offerings. It also includes the um, marina payment that we receive of $35,000. So that's $1,126,000. That compares, as you can see, with our budgeted amount of $1,119,000. So we're projecting to finish $7,000 above the budget. Our expenses, we project to come in at $1,074,000, which is $33,000 under the budget allowance of $1,107,000. So we're projecting a surplus of $52,000. Our budget only projected a surplus of $12,000, so praise the Lord, we did well. You did well. We did receive the final marine payment, $35,000, the good and the bad. Thank the Lord for the payments. But that was the final payment. <laughs> hint, hint. Our special giving, even after our budget was so good and we have a surplus, 
you folks still had special giving of $99,000, and this is just through June 6th. Mission, 71000 Benevolent, 13000 I have to say, we don't even include money in our budget anymore for Benevolent, and the reason why is because you folks give, and you've always given for the last, I don't know, five or six years, more than we've been able to, I mean, they meet all of our needs. So we have not had to ask you in our budget. Now, you are given this walkout offerings, and thank you for that. <clears throat> our Christmas offering was 15000 So that shows that... Um, we had an excellent year, and we're very thankful for that. And now Tom will do what his part is to show you what we're talking about is going to happen next year. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to start off uh, giving you an overall overview of um, the budgeting process. Uh, the strategic ministry plan sort of guides and directs the assembling of the budget. Uh, looking at the goals and objectives for the coming year. Uh, the senior staff looks at uh, how the current year budget is going, where we've underspent, where we've overspent, and again, what our, sh our plans are for the coming year. And they put together a draft budget, and they present that to uh, the TBC Finance Committee, which consists of Doug, uh, Don Schnarr, Mike Sweet, and, and myself. Um, the Finance Committee then reviews this. If we have any recommended changes, we go over that with the staff. And then um, once that's reconciled, we uh, approve the final version. That in turn, once it's approved, gets reviewed by the deacons. And then uh, is sent to the elders for final approval. Uh, then we present it to the congregation, which is what we're doing tonight. And um, then two weeks from tonight, uh, it will be presented for voting at the annual business meeting. As far as income, uh, we've uh, set a budget goal of $1,124,000 for the coming year, which equates to about $21,600 per week. And that's basically just 3% above what the uh, budget was set for the current year. Um, the budget consists of a lot of line items, and but what we've done to make it a little easier uh, for you to digest is to break it up into three different main categories, uh, TBC ministries, uh, general administrative, and uh, missions. Um, and I'm just going to give you a, a highlight of the, each one of these categories to let you know where they are. The uh, budgets are posted. Uh, in the hallway outside the ministry center here and also in the uh, uh, on the bulletin board uh, beside the office in the uh, old building for you to review. Um, for the TBC ministries, uh, this includes categories such as adult ministries, college, um, children's ministries, uh, training, uh, counseling, these sorts of things. And basically, uh, even though each one of those line items may have gone up or down a little bit, overall for that main TBC ministry category, we're running uh, flat. So it's going to be basically uh, an equivalent budget from what we had last, this current year. Um, as far as general administrative, that includes um, things like Um, administrative expenses overall, which includes uh, salaries, uh, a lot of salaries, 
uh, building and grounds, um, office expenses, and technology. And again, these categories, some of them went up, some of them went down based upon needs. But um, overall, that um, category went up about $26,000. And uh, that was mainly due to the addition of Tim Mashura to the staff. Uh, we had 2% in salary increases for the year. Uh, there were increases for healthcare costs, and there are also increases in online giving fees. Now, a lot of the online giving fees, or at least some of them, are covered by the donors that, that give online. They have the option of selecting, contributing 2% or 2.2%, whatever it is, to help offset the, the giving fees that are required through online giving. Uh, missions, missions overall went down, some, the budget went down some, uh, mainly due to retirements from uh, the alleys and the viewers. Also, the Mashiras returning from the field. There was some support increase for the Baldesses, the Hoblets, Spices, Bearings, Killians, and Johnstons. And there was also a fund set up for the Lorries um, to um, help when they, uh, the anticipated uh, going to the field for them in the near future. And so we hope to be prepared there for when they are ready to, to go to the field. Uh, what happens next? Um, the budget's gonna be posted, like I said, there's postings outside in the hallway, there's postings uh, uh, at the, uh, on the bulletin board beside the church office for your review. Um, the vote will be on the uh, annual business, during the annual business meeting on June 27th. And if you have any questions about the budget, once you've had a chance to review it, you can contact any member of the finance committee. Again, that's uh, Doug Elder, Don Schnarr, Mike Sweet, and myself. So thank you for your attention. It was pretty uneventful. We praise God for that. Um, and also praise God for the, how amazing it is what was supposed to be a negative the Lord worked in a, in a positive way. I, I may have told you this before, but when, when we were at Expositor's graduation, we were going around to the 11 different churches talking about the different things that were happening in congregations in light of, of, of a year of COVID, and almost to, to a church when we went around, it was the exact same experience. We've grown by 50 members. We've grown by 100 members. We've had 20 baptisms. Our offerings have gone up all the way around uh, the, the horn. And so, I, frankly, I had to confess to the Lord whenever COVID first started. I, I you know, grumble, grumble, this is bad. I don't like this. This is horrible. But after a year of the of the spiritual fruit that it's brought to the church, don't shoot me, but I say give us another year. Well, maybe I won't say that, but give us the benefits of, uh, of that. And it just goes to show you sincerely how the Lord actually works. Um, the enrollment at the school, as Jeff has told us, is through the roof. I mean, just so many things that you wouldn't have anticipated God to do that he is, uh, he is doing. So, um, well, what I want to do tonight is to give you a, a look at what we're going to be doing over the, over the summer. You probably noticed if you've been around, and maybe you haven't been around so you didn't notice, uh, what we normally do over the summer is called recharge. And recharge looks a whole lot like the equipping classes. So 
we do preaching up until summer, and then we break up in four or five equipping classes for two different sessions, and we come back for preaching. And this year, uh, we flipped that around. Um, so we did the equipping classes in the spring, and we're doing a summer preaching uh, series. And um, rather than doing the, the breakouts, the series that we're going to be doing uh, this, this summer is, is topical uh, in nature. We're going to cover a number of, of areas, some of which you'll be interested in, um, hopefully most of which you'll be interested in. Like, for instance, um, we're almost complete uh, as, a, as, as elders for a, with a position paper on social justice and critical race theory and the woke gospel and all of that. We're in the process of reviewing that. We'll make that available. That will end up being on our website at some point, but we want you to have it and be able to ask questions about it. So that's something that we you know, we, we may cover, we plan on doing some Q&As because that was, that was something that was, was interesting. But a big thrust of what we're going to be doing over the, over the summer is, is in anticipation of presenting to you as a church two new elders um, at the end of the, the summer, according to our, our Constitution. If you recall, maybe you don't because it was prior to, to COVID, I think it's all the way back in 2019, I preached a number of messages, even before we did the Sunday night Q&As and walked through the Constitution. I preached a number of messages on the anatomy of the, uh, of the church in anticipation for the Constitution. And we answered questions like, how does God intend for his church to, to operate? How is it led? Um, is it led by a single pastor, uh, by a board of deacons, by, by a board of elders, by a congregation? Does it matter? We, we tackled all of those questions scripturally. And what does it look like in the everyday church life once you figure out the, the anatomy, how God has intended the church to be structured? I mean, okay, you have this, this biblical polity. Uh, does then every decision uh, come to the congregation to decide? Or is it just the big things that come to the congregation? And then who decides what the big things are? Uh, does the pastor decide? Do the deacons decide? All those types of questions. I mean, does the Bible give a definitive model that is prescribed? And if so, then what does that look like? And uh, and if not, what does it tell us? And, and we concluded that, indeed, the Bible does provide a structure, a biblical structure for the church. And the statement that I've used to summarize that, going all the way back to my pulpit committee time, was the, the biblical church is elder-led, deacon-served, and congregationally affirmed. Um, elder-led, not ruled. We said that we saw a plurality, more than one, of godly men leading the church. We still have a senior pastor. We're still congregational, but that's what is modeled in our, in our Constitution. Uh, we believe that the New Testament church teaches that uh, the New Testament uh, scripture teaches that the church is led by qualified men according to the marks of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus. It's served by deacons that meet the marks of model servants in 1 Timothy 3, and it's, then it's affirmed by the body of, of believers. They're, they're involved. And, and as part of the Constitution, the church body sets apart and votes on its leaders. So we said if you break all that down, there are three features to the church's anatomy. There are its visible leaders. You see me, but there are a number of other uh, leaders. 
sometimes called elders or overseers or pastors in the Bible. The Bible uses that term interchangeably, bishops, if you have the King James. Then there's also exemplary servers, better known as deacons. Every Christian is called to serve Christ and to serve the church. Every Christian is called to meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. Every man in here is called to be a one-woman man. Every person in here is called not to be a brawler. But there are certain servants that serve so well, the church sets them apart as models. Um, They're not elders. They're model servers. And then, both the elders and the deacons, they're part of the same congregation. So they're not some super class of Christian or The elders are up here, and then the deacons are here, and then the congregation is down here. We're all the body of Christ, and whatever gifts that we have, whether speaking gifts or serving gifts, we've been given by the Holy Spirit, called to use that in the body of Christ. And so the whole church is maturing ministers, as Clay unfolded for you last Sunday in Ephesians 4, what that that looks like. So that's the congregation. And then God uniquely uses those parts to govern his his church. I said it's, I think it's helpful to remind, um, remind us of what the Bible does, does not say about the way a church functions. And we went over these as, as well. I'm going to remind you of them tonight. The Bible does not leave us unclear about how Christ intends his church to operate. Open to 1 Timothy 3. Look at verse 14 and 15. It's a very familiar passage to you. But in this passage, it gives us clarity that God has an intended structure. It's not just up to us or church tradition or whatever. This is the Apostle Paul writing toward the end of his life. After elders have been established in churches... And he writes to Timothy, who is an elder in the church of Ephesus. And he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things, these things in the letter of 1 Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave or to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. And then he gives a common confession that all Orthodox or biblical churches would would confess. So Paul clearly tells Timothy here, there is a specific way that God intends his church to operate and Timothy to, to help lead it. And it's so important that Paul is sending this letter to outline men do this and women do that. And women don't do this in light of creation and to beware of these false teachers and you are to set apart these men that meet these qualifications. First Timothy 3, you're to set apart these deacons, these servants that meet these qualifications. And so he gives him all of these details and says, here is God's plan. Now put it into practice in, in Ephesus. And then we won't go there, but you could also go to the book of Titus because Paul sends Titus to the island of Crete where churches had been planted. And he says those churches are out of order. They're incomplete. They, they need to be finished. So he sends Titus there to finish the work. And the work is to ordain elders, plural, 
set them apart that meet the same qualifications that are there, put the church in order. So there's a specific structure that God gives for the, for the church. You could go to Acts 14.21, which is uh, an example of where Paul appoints elders, plural, in every church. Verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's the transfer that, that's happening in the, the book of Acts, transitioning from the apostles to, to, to elders. Um, not to go back over what Clay mentioned, but in Ephesians 4. You go back to Ephesians 2.20. The foundation of the church is laid by the apostles and the prophets. So Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Christ came as the Messiah. He lived the life, died the death, rose from the dead, commissioned his apostles then to go out and proclaim his message. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. And the book of Acts is exactly how they did that. So the apostles and the prophets were the ones that laid the foundation of the church. We don't have apostles and we don't have prophets today. They had unique gifts to authenticate them. And they saw the risen Christ, the apostles did. So they laid the foundation, and that's what's happening in the book of Acts. The foundation of the church is being laid. It's being transitioned, though, as that foundation is being laid. It's being transitioned from the apostles and prophets to those who will build on that foundation. And that's what Ephesians 4 is all about. Christ gave gifts to his church, not only apostles and prophets, but he also gave missionary evangelists, and he gave pastors and teachers pastor teachers and they equip the saints so who's building on the foundation of the book of acts that's laid it is now those pastors and teachers and and missionaries so here you have in acts 14 a transition happening to those elders and the churches continue to be planted and there are deacons that are appointed and because it's imperative that it's not just any man that's chosen to lead the, the church but then God spells out the qualifications in 1 Timothy and in Titus, which is around 62 A.D. You can see all three of those pieces that we, we mention, all three parts of the structure in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, there's the congregation, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers, they're the elders, and deacons. So Philippians 1, 1 identifies all three parts Paul's writing the letter, addressing each one of them. And so scripture teaches their very clear components, three of them, elders leading, deacons assisting, congregations affirming. Other details like how many elders do you have, how many deacons do you have, how often should the church meet, should you do a finance committee and a budget, I mean those things are left up to the local congregations and then you have other things governing what is edifying, what is wise, what, what, what's most helpful. Do you have committees? Do you have trustees? I mean, that's left up to churches as long as the general structure is there. Secondly, the Bible does not say, and this may be, probably wouldn't be shocking to you, but it may be shocking to some, the Bible does not say that the church is a democracy owned by the, the people. If you would at verse 15, Paul calls the church something specifically, or something specific. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household 
of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Since the church is God's possession, the church is described as owned by the, the living God, which comes from the Old Testament. He's the living God. We talked about this morning. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He uses that same term here. And believers are members of God's household. We act accordingly. Um, this is not your church or mine. It's Christ's, which is why our only task is to follow him, not new trends or old traditions. Someone asked MacArthur one time how he was so bold in making some biblical changes that some people didn't agree with. And he, he said, it's simple, it's not their church. Uh, it's not mine either. Um, this, the democracy aspect, is probably one of the most misunderstood things, at least in Baptist circles. It's the proverbial Baptist business meeting where everything's voted on and everything gets an up or down vote, those type of things. We, when we hear of church governance, we typically think American government. Um, and that concept is foreign to the New Testament of how a church operates. It's wrong to think of biblical congregationalism in terms of three branches of government, like the executive branch, the judicial and legislative branch, and then the congregation is we the people. The executive branch is like the pastor. The legislative and judicial branch is there as checks and balances to keep the executive branch in, in check. And then the congregation is we the people. It's a very unbiblical way to think. Um, there's nothing no scheme like that modeled in, in Scripture. The congregation uh, of, a, of a local church is self-governing. It's not a monarchy. It's not an oligarchy ruled by few. It's not an aristocracy aristocracy ruled by the fittest. It's not anarchy ruled by no one. It's a government by the members of the body, the, the demos, which elders and deacons are part of. So we're all one, one body. So each has a role in there. You can think of, of the congregation's role in a church, the assembly, as the final court of appeals. Um, and there's no deliberative body outside of the, the local church. The local church is sovereign. We, we don't submit to a denomination or to a pope or, or anything like that. So we're sovereign in what we do, but there are some parameters. The, the, the parameters are there are limits and then there are leaders to, to the decisions. There are limits to the decisions of the congregation, and then there are leaders that are set apart to, to govern or to, to guide the congregation. So there are limits to biblical congregationalism. Recognizes that the congregation is not an infallible God. I mean, the voice of the people is not tantamount to the voice of God. Um, the voice of the people said, crucify him. That role is reserved, the voice of God, the role is reserved for God's word. I mean, we believe in sola scriptura, the Bible alone, which means it's our sole authority uh, for faith and practice. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scriptures is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. A. Hodge wrote, whatever God teaches or commands is of sovereign authority. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the only organs through which, during the present dispensation, God conveys to us a knowledge of his will 
about what we are to believe concerning himself and what duties he requires of us. It's a great quote. When we say the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice, what we mean is we, we hold the Bible to be our ultimate guide for what we believe, that's the faith part, and what we do, that's the practice part. We mean the Bible trumps man's authority, church tradition, and then just general of, of opinion. So we mean we will allow nothing to oppose God's word or to dictate our actions or control our, our thinking. And so congregational decisions, which are extremely helpful, um, they're necessary. They're, they're not right by virtue of being made by the body or by the group. Any more than decisions made by elders are because they're made by elders are right if they're contrary to scripture. Um, so there are limits to decisions that the congregation makes. And then there are the second parameter is their leaders. God ordains leaders to lead the congregation. They're part of the congregation, but they're set apart to, to oversee. First Timothy five seventeen. If you turn over there, first Timothy five seventeen. Again, this is part of that same letter. This is how you govern yourself. I'm writing this down. Notice what it says in verse 17. The elders, plural, who rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor. I, I can remember uh, hearing a pastor say that means double pay. It does not mean double pay. It must have been hard up. I don't know especially those who work hard at preaching and, and teaching. We don't, won't, won't go into the, the, the number of different, is this, you know, uh, lay elders or, you know, or what. But the point is there are leaders that are set apart in the, in the church. And it says that all elders or pastors rule. They have oversight. They have oversight of what? They have oversight of the congregation, the specific congregation, because... Elders will give an account to God for the sheep, which is why we, we take church membership so seriously. And it also says some will labor in preaching and teaching. Now, 1 Timothy 3 says if you are an elder, you must have the ability to teach. That's one of the distinctions between deacons and elders. It doesn't mean you have to be able to do what I do, uh, manage the pulpit, but it does mean that you have to have the ability as an elder to teach sound doctrine and refute error. That's what it means to be able to teach. That's the one ability that you have to have. A deacon does not have to have the ability to do that because they're serving ministries rather than speaking ministries or shepherding ministries. So what this passage is saying is that there's a, there's a plurality of elders, all of them have oversight, and yet there will be some that the church will set apart for the specific tasks of corporate preaching and teaching. And we would typically call those people staff or people that the congregation pays so that they can give themselves to, to prayer and the ministry of the, of the word. We normally think of a pastor, we normally think of a pastor, we think of someone in the pulpit and paid but this says not all of the church's shepherds are in the pulpit and not all of them are paid. Biblical congregationalism includes leadership and spiritual oversight by congregationally recognized elders. There are some who are set apart vocationally to lead and teach, like me, and there are some who lead or are not paid by the church. And 
Currently, we only have paid elders at Timberlake. There are three. It was so low. We still have a senior pastor. That's me. But we, we had one primary elder, one primary pastor. Now we have three elders, which is myself and Pastor Brody and, and Pastor Jeff. Regardless of whether elders are paid or not, the congregation is responsible to obey those leaders and submit to them. Now, I'll balance that in a minute, but I don't want to take the edge off of it right now. Hebrews 13, 17, you probably know it well. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. That means don't be a hard sheep. Um, make it easy to be, to be shepherded because it's bad for you. If it's difficult, if you're a difficult sheep, then you might not get the, you know, all the care that you, that, that you need. And so God has given elders to the congregation as a blessing for the health of the church. Every member is responsible to obey the authorities over them, whether it's in the home or in the church or whatever it is, so that they might give an account to God with a clear conscience. So elders function most biblically in the context of a congregation. But congregationalism also functions most biblically under wise and godly and loving, qualified elders. Here's the balance to that. The Bible does not give church leaders any authority outside of Scripture. We were just talking about this last week, some horrible examples of... I know everybody talks about abuse of authority these days, but... There is legitimate abuse that happens in, of authority. And while there are many passages in the Bible, like Hebrews 13, 7, 1 Peter 5, 1 Timothy, that calls pastors overseers, the authority that I have is not absolute. And there's some confusion about biblical authority. But if you grasp what I'm about to tell you, it may change the way that you, you see authority and how it operates in your life, whether you follow or whether you lead an elder of a church has no authority other than what the Bible explicitly states. It is a delegated authority. If the Bible definitively states it, then the pastor can definitively state it as well. But if the Bible is silent, then the man of God should be silent too. That's why it's so dangerous. In fact, you're commanded not to go beyond the text. Don't bind the conscience of people by things that Scripture doesn't specifically say. Let me say it another way. Pastoral leadership is limited to the boundaries of Scripture. In fact, all authority, authority of husbands, the authority of parents, it's all delegated authority that goes for governments or, or church leaders. When Jesus said, don't lead like the Gentiles, as Christians, you're different. You, you don't lead like the Gentiles. He means he is the only authority and that the leadership that we exercise is a delegated one. We're simply passing that authority on. We're a conduit of Christ's authority. I speak the, the voice of Christ to the extent that I get the, the text right, it's his voice. I'm a conduit for that authority. The, what the world thinks, though, is the opposite. They think the authority comes from a position or a person. That's how the Gentiles think. That's what Jesus means. 
lording it over someone does not mean that, uh, you know, don't lord it over someone does not mean that uh, you don't want to be harsh in your, your authority. It means that Jesus alone has authority. He's Lord. You're not the Lord over anyone. As I said, the world thinks authority is tied to a person or a position. Is a person worthy to follow, or do they hold a position over me? If they don't hold a position over me, I'm not submitting to them. I have absolutely no authority over you because I'm a pastor. The Bible alone has authority. I just point out that authority to you. And I have no other authority besides that. Anything else, like should I buy a house or should I marry this portion, uh, this person is is overstepping my bounds of authority. I may be able to give you counsel and general wisdom, which I'm happy to do, but that's not the same as speaking with the authority of Scripture because then it's right or wrong, sin or not. And the person we were talking about this past week was Jack Howells, um, who at the pastor's conferences at the end, like a number of others in fundamentalism, would people would line up and they would get a certain amount of time and he would give the spiel of they would give the spiel should I buy this house or this is what was going on and he would tell them one way or the other um, it's a sad story where he ended up so I don't have any authority other than the scripture neither do the elders and guess what you don't have collective authority either as a church body <laughs> nobody has authority only Christ has authority Your authority is not what in the group agrees with. God invests that authority in his word, period. So the only role a congregation has is to affirm, yes, this is what the Bible says, or no, it doesn't. Beyond that, there there is none. And finally, lastly, the Bible does not say that everything is brought before the, the church body. Did you know there's specific scripture that tells you not to bring everything before the church body? Um, The congregation's primary focus is on major matters. They're a final court of of appeals, not a front line or first line defense. Think of the church, the congregation, like the Supreme Court, not like the local sheriff that's involved in everything. There are specific things the Bible says the congregation does. And beyond that, there are people set apart to do those specific things, entrusted and set apart by, by the congregation. So they deal with final matters of discipline, which is why we bring discipline before the Lord's Supper to the whole congregation, so you'll know, tell it to the church. Um, membership, the congregation votes in and votes out. They know who's, who's in and, 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 and who's out. Major decisions. It pleased the multitude. The whole church would be involved in major decisions. We consider just like the budget, that's a major, major decision. And then the setting apart of its leaders. So the congregation affirms, yes, these are model servants. We see them modeling service. So we want to identify them as deacons. Yes, we, we have observed the, the, the character of these men. They're faithful men, and, and we could submit to them as, as shepherds. It sets apart its, its leaders. So a local congregation identifies its leaders, according to Acts 6 and 14. It affirms its discipline, according to 1 Corinthians 5. It upholds its doctrine in Galatians 1. It resolves personal disputes in Matthew 18. And it determines church membership in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And here's the passage about what comes before the church. Anything that comes before the church body as a whole should be edifying 
And leaders have to make the decisions in that realm. Have you ever been in a business meeting where things were brought up that were not edifying? <laughs> I have. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Let all things be done. Everything that comes before the church body as a whole is to be done for the building up of the body. And there are certain things that just will not build up the body if they're brought to the whole body. Um, they're incomplete. There's information that the whole congregation doesn't have. Um, or it's impossible for 500 people to adjudicate something and work through something complex so the church sets apart, you know, 10 people to do it. And that principle is taught in, in many places. Romans 14, 19, Therefore let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans 15, 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, now to each one the manifestation, manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And this is where things can get off track in both directions. The, the body has to let people lead that they've set apart to lead, and leaders must seek the counsel on matters that involve the, the whole body. And frankly, I think we have a beautiful balance here there's no zero complaints from a pastoral standpoint you you're gracious people and we involve you whenever things are, are necessary i mean think about it practically i mean it's impossible to do due diligence necessary on many items of the entire church and and maybe you've been here where you've been set apart to do a lot of work as a subcommittee or whatever it is only to bring being brought before a congregational business meeting and and get it picked apart and you've You've just done six months' worth of work. And, and as a church member, when things come before you, you should be thinking things like, what can I add? How can I help? Not I want to get my voice heard. You can have your voice heard. You just come to whoever is working on it. Understanding all of that, for at least the next two Sunday nights, um, I'm, I'm going to be preaching on... How to know an elder when you see one? What does an elder do? Even more in depth, look into character qualifications. Um, what they are, how to recognize them, the, the faithfulness, character qualities, and then, and then, and then what they, they do. Because at the end of the summer, we want to put two men before you, according to our Constitution, for you to vote on, on them, so that they would serve alongside myself and Pastor Jeff and Pastor Larry. Um, these men won't be on staff and they won't be paid, but they'll serve the same authority as, as elders. So at the end of this process, Lord willing, we'll have five elders rather than, rather than three. And you know both of these men, and they shouldn't be any surprise to you, and you know their character. One of them is Don Bowman, and the other one is Rich Brown. Um, as I said, there are three currently. Don and Rich have been... And we've talked to them for probably over a year and a half. We talked to other people too. Um, but those men have been sitting in meetings and work. They, they work through the Constitution with us. Obviously, Rich is the current uh, vice chairman of Deacons, um, leads our college ministry here. Don has, um, should I say, been around a really, really long time. Uh, 
He was the chairman of the pulpit committee in Iraq Aim. He's, he's a former deacon. Um, both of these men are the kind of people we would intend to put before you uh, for you to affirm as leaders, solid, mature, um, biblical men, men that are like-minded, uh, and men that have character. So I'm telling you about this ahead of time, so if you have any questions about them, you're free to ask them many things. Like, what do you think about this? How, how, how did you get asked? I mean, whatever you want to ask, Don or Rich, at the end of the summer, sometime in August, we would vote as a church to set apart them as elders uh, of, our, of our congregation. We've had ample time to examine them, and, or we wouldn't be putting them before you, but we want you to know that that's what you are able to do as, as well. And, um, and then also pray. Uh, pray if these are the two men the Lord wants us to help us lead, then he would, uh, he would make that plain. And uh, preparing for the question and answer time, if there's anything specifically, any bee that's buzzing in your bonnet, anything that you really want to know about that you don't think has been addressed, a specific topic, feel free to send an email to Emily at the office or me or one of the pastors, Michael Lowry, and we'll put it in the, you know, in the Q&A because we want to be as helpful as you know, as possible. We're always recommending resources to you. There are plenty of those that we can do, books and otherwise podcasts, but, um, but obviously it's nothing like a specific question that you might have as a congregation member and hear your pastors, you know, uh, address it. So that's all we have for you this evening. As, as Tom said, there are, the budgets are posted here and over there. If you have any specific questions, you can, uh, you can, you can follow up with them. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Oh, Lord, I thank you for this church. I pray that you would preserve it. There's so much capitulation that has happened, so much compromise that's happened over decades, and that fruit is even coming up now. This church, by your grace, has not. Thank you for its biblical moorings. Thank you for its history. Thank you for just being pleased to use us. Keep us, Father. Keep us holy. Purify us. Bring sin out of our hearts and out of our midst. Keep the, the, the shepherds faithful. Um, guard us from the evil one. Guard our families. Use us until Jesus comes to share his great news that he saves. It's in his name we pray. Amen.